You're listening to the Spandex Power Armor Podcast. You can trust us, we're British. and welcome to the Spandex Power Armor Podcast with Hypnopotamus Rex and Carmen Ranger. Today on the show we'll be discussing a lot about each individual... Ranger? What? What's going on? Help? I'm doing George today, boyo. Oh, yay. yay! That's right, Juoja's officially finished, and Q-Ranger is the new Sentai on the block. Would you mind not serenading <laughs> The audience gets it. I don't like to kazoo. Any more kazoo and I think we'll lose our minds. But it's, it's kazoo-oja. That was, that was terrible. Kazoo-oja. 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 Now, since we're covering a whole Sentai season, there will be a lot of spoilers. So if yeah. you haven't seen all of Zuoja and you don't want it spoiled, Go stop no listening. Go no further. <laughs> Go no further and just binge all of it. If you need to, binge all of it in two days. That's what I did with Double. Or just binge all of it again. Or just listen to us and get really salty about the spoilers. <laughs> anyway. So first off the bat, it's a pretty good thing to start off with uh, with characters. Got a very strong cast this series. Rex, what do you think? Which is your favourite character in this show? Are we talking about the specific Zhuojas or...? Uh, just in general. I mean, even if you if it's a background character, which character stood out to you the most? Naria. Yeah, fair enough. She is waifu. Weird grape woman. She's and not a grape woman, actually. actually. She's grapes. She's made out of grapes. She's not grapes, actually. Did you know that in the villains of that, in the Death Galleons, among the leaders, they're based oh, after different elements? Minerals, yeah. Isn't like uh, Death Galleon, like the Galleon, but in the kind of like Malaysian, like Galleon's Malaysian for minerals, something like that? Strangely enough, I haven't done that in my research, but Naria's weird um, green lumpy stuff, that's actually based on Smithsonite, which is a green lumpy substance. Mm, I remember Azald, his um, blocky form is based on... Fluorite. Uh, yeah. Some, I, don't, like, I don't do rocks. I love the mineral formations. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting theme to go with, not one that people would pick up on, really. Because mm, all didn't. based on bismuth, that explains the strange metallic thing, but I don't mm. quite see it. Although I do see uh, Jagged in Stibnite. Hmm. Because it's it's pointy. You don't want to hug him. <laughs> yeah, no one wants to hug evil Mega Man. And so as a quick synopsis for the characters in Juoja, essentially Yamato, a zoologist, is giving a tour around a place and gets sucked into this magical mystery world full of and, cubes and furries. And suddenly aliens. Suddenly aliens, which it's is always aliens. Odd. It's got no actual connection. Unless, actually, later on there is a connection between little bit. and the alien invasion. Little bit, but only with one of them. Only with one of them, yes, mm. but we'll get to that eventually. I mean, it's not like uh, it's not like Kamen Rider where everyone is connected, but it's just kind of weird that it's you know, the Juojas don't even have their powers in response to the Death Galeons. They're pre-existing things that just Oh, they occur. do have their powers in response to a threat. Well, they gain them in response, but it's it's not like the powers were designed specifically to combat that Oh, threat. true, like in Live Men. Yeah. And so, in this ragtag bunch of humans and furries, we have Yamato, a human who has the powers of an eagle given to him by Birdman, also known as Bard, but I prefer Birdman. It's Bird Person. Joining him is the yellow, which is Leo, obviously a lion, and it's a guy with dreadlocks. Yeah, it's it's weird seeing a Japanese guy of all, with blonde dreadlocks. Yeah, you can tell it's obviously a hat. They've got the oh, little bandana thing. Yeah, it kind of covers up. Where, yeah, it's probably got a, that's probably waistband or something like that. Not yeah. waistband, you know what I mean. And in, and in summary, we've got the other token strong female, the blue seller, shark lady. My waifu for laifu. You've got an interesting choice in waifus. We've got Tusk, the green elephant. No elephant allowed. 
No elephant allowed. He is the cold, sharp, serious one. Yeah, he's the easier token, too serious for you teammate. He yeah. does get a bit better later on, though. A little bit better. A little bit. Once he gets a job. He's the only one with a job among these human, actually. Yeah, he's the only one who seems to fully integrate into human society. Only then, that's so we could get books. Yeah. Never heard of Wikipedia. Yeah, I never heard of the um, Gutenberg project either, apparently. <laughs> and we also have Amu, the. Is she pink or the white? Uh, she's white, but she has a lot of pink in her civilian clothes. Yeah, so she's, she's a white tiger. Weirdly enough, she doesn't actually have um, weird inbreeding problems. She's uh, Hallelujah, yeah. she'll improve the tiger gene pool. <laughs> it's nice because they went for the Russian sort of tiger, which is the tiger that mauls Russians. Yes. Rather than the regular tigers which are hunted for their fur, she's going for the one that hunts the deadliest people on Earth. <laughs> yes, uh, surprisingly enough, she's the uh, most nihilistic of the rangers as well, since she doesn't actually mind being trapped in a parallel universe as much. As long as there's cake and pretty things. And also later on, they gain Misao, Zuo the World, one of Genesis' many creations. He has the amazing power of crippling depression. Yes, we'll talk about him again in a bit, but dear lordy, his character barely develops. His lack of self-esteem is legendary, not even I can match it. Wonderful powers when he's actually a villain, and then suddenly, boom, he is just a sad, sad little man. But like all evil rangers turn good, they uh, start jobbing immensely, even more than normal sixth rangers. And so now we'll start talking about each of them in detail, starting Mm. with Yamato R. Red. He's established early on as a definite animal lover, which is great, because the Sentai is full of animals. (laughs) And strangely enough, he's quite a mature Red. Yes, surprisingly, he actually has a life. What happens to his job? After like the first episode, we never see him go to work ever again, and it, it's it's stated like by the end of it, like it's taken a whole year. Do, do we just not see him go to work, or is he just maybe taking, he like, does a year things off? in the background, like he takes notes? He's a scientist; he just does studies. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Maybe a scientist who's down on his luck. He looks like a recent graduate. I mean, the rest of the Georges are just uh, mooching off of Mario, so maybe he is too. That's really depressing. You turn this into a massive downer. <laughs> what I find strange is that. There isn't much of a focus specifically on him throughout the series. There are hints about things about his family and everything, but only in the later episodes does it start to open up, so... He doesn't get much plot to himself, but he does He does get the um, bulk of the... Well, all of the, uh, the power-up reds, but in terms of story, he's not really the driving force of it. He's just more like a facilitator of it. It's quite refreshing, actually, Hmm. in that they try to tie all of his lines up near the end, so it's quite a big cluster of his interactions with Bard saving him, the tie-ins with the father, and why he wasn't there at his mother's death. Hmm. That was quite profound for me. That wouldn't be so bad if everything else wasn't being wrapped up at the end as well, which is the uh, the, the norm for Sentai, unfortunately. There's... Yes, I find a lot of it was filler. Well, that's, just, that's the case with a lot of Toku, really. The Japanese haven't perfected the art of pacing, I don't think. There are a few two-episode arcs scattered throughout the show, and then it's mostly filler with a uh, everything else wrapped up at the end, I, I find at least. But yes, Yamato is... This guy is so sane, though. He is hmm. the straight man. He's the one having to lead these people around this new world. Uh, literally in uh, episode two with those uh, collars. That was, that's, something we'll, that's something we'll discuss on latex power armor. Help me. <laughs> and what I find odd is that he's singled out by not one, but two of the bosses. As in, like, say, in Shinkenjo, you've got Fuwajuzo, yes. the badass samurai guy. Had a who... weird kind of hate crush on the Red Ranger. Yeah. But in this one, you've got two of them. Yeah. Hazal just develops a, a quick hate for him, but we're going to talk about Bungle as well later. Yeah, Bungle is... 
He, he's an intro. He's a card. He's a mixed bag for me. I'm not sure if I love him. I'm not sure if I hate him. Thinking about it, the guy had an obsession with wanting to make Yamato's loved ones die in front of him. You'd say he's a bit of a fixation there. He's developed like a weird kind of Dark Knight Joker level devotion to tearing down this hero. It's straight up sadistic as well. He doesn't even need to. He still wants to complete his task. He just does know, it as fun on the side. Tearing down Yamato is not his goal. It's just... It really just is his hobby. Dude killed his mother in front of him a second time. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's bungling. dark. Yeah, I think Bungle might be on a par with Genis in terms of uh, pure sadism here. And at least Genis is sadistic for a, a reason. Bungle is just that because, just like that, because Yamato annoyed him with his worldview. And we'll get back to the heroes then. Next, yes. we have Leo. Mm. And I like Leo. He was oh, good, yeah. he was loud, he was annoying, but he had very little actual development as a character. Endearingly obnoxious is how I describe him. He is always openly loud, impulsive. But he's never never mean with it. He's never yeah, he's never mean spirited, he's always very open, what you see is what you get. And even during one episode where he team have their emotions unleashed by this one character, I think his name is Amateuria in the Japanese one, or Flipsider in the <laughs> overtime. Oh no, that one. Is that the one where it's like two things and he turns around? and he's like yeah, yeah. skinny one and just yeah. unleashes everyone's id and has them say how they feel he yes. is completely unchanged yeah, cause because he speaks his mind all the time he is fine he he's is lucid he's normal he just doesn't care and that's what I like because he fills the role of every jerk character you don't really need anyone to contend no, he yeah. has his role and he does it well he balances out the other more rational Georges pretty well he also did an interesting maid cosplay in the Halloween episode but we will not talk about that in interesting as one maid. he was pretty next up we've got Sella our favourite shark person why a shark though? well because uh, Sun Vulcan reference well, yes, aside from the Sun Vulcan reference... Eagle, shark, lion... Hang on. Eagle, shark, lion... <laughs> Among the things to sell on a children's show, an anthropomorphic female shark, not the first idea that comes to mind, but somehow they made it work. Well, female blue isn't anything new, really, and if they're all animals, what other blue animal are you going to make? Oh, definitely. I find a lot of resemblance to Blue Dolphin from Live Man, in that she's the one keeping a lot of the team together sometimes. Yes. She is often the straight one, she points out things without being hurtful, she just tells the truth. She has a lot less levity than Live Blue did, but I see what you mean. She's kind of the uh, the glue holding the team together, because she's a little bit more above the shenanigans of the others. Definitely. And she hasn't had many episodes centred on her. Like just was... one, to my knowledge. I mean, she had that one with Leo where she's annoyed at him for... Uh, for not fighting her as an equal, but other than that, I mean, that was shared with Leo. Mm, she doesn't have any solely seller episodes, even the one where they're constantly dreaming. She yeah. only mentions her family as a plot point. The only time where there was a proper seller episode that had her with another character just away from the rest of the team was the one with the con man. Yeah. With the monster that force-fed people spaghetti until they inflated. Dobson, is that you? And even then, she didn't really develop from it, but it just pointed out her own innocence despite the fact that she was always the wise one. Yeah. She was always still rather young, so wise beyond her years is the best descriptor for her. Yeah, it, it really just reiterated what we already knew. She's a pure and corruptible soul who will one day marry me. Oh dear lordy. Moving on to Tusk, we have a bit of a problem. I believe he is actually an Indian elephant. Ranger thinks he's an African elephant. Totally African. Why? Clothes, dude. Look at the clothes. Are you talking about the little hat? Yeah, the hat, the coat, is it like a coat tunic thing? It's it's all African. It's but African. I've seen similar patterns in Indian clothing, though. Look, I've been sent enough emails by Nigerian princes to know what African people wear. It's like a little little boxy hat thing. It's African. I've never seen an Indian person wear those clothes. Well, true, but the hat is obviously one of those... It's a North African piece. Yeah, look no, at the uh, hair. Tusk's hair has a strange... Admission of defeat. 
No, Tusk's hair, dude. It's a long ponytail-like thing that you've seen a lot of uh, depictions of gurus and everything, the long, sort of priestly... Oh, yeah, but he doesn't really do anything else guru-like. He, he doesn't need to. He like, he reads books, he's wise. We're not in talking about his behaviour. We don't know how elephants behave as people. But the ears as well. Those are Indian elephant ears, dude. African ears, African elephant ears. I swear, look, Indian elephants have shorter ears. Well, they do, but, I mean, if you look at the shape it's and the forehead, it's, it's it looks like an African elephant. It, he's still an Indian elephant to me. It'll always be an African elephant in my heart. Bah. Anyway, Tusk, as mentioned, is the token gloomy one. He's like Soji from Shoryuja. He's the serious one who occasionally gets roped into the group's shenanigans, but for the most part kind of resists them. Interestingly enough, both were green. Ah, nice. Um, he has... Because greens tend to be, a lot of the time, kind of slip into the silly character archetype. Tusk has had a lot of episodes focused on him, though. There are a lot focusing on his development, his interactions with the team, because he is such a hard person to get on with, hmm. and he gets constant feedback for it, and he genuinely does improve, even with Masao, yeah. learning about his own... <laughs> he is a, he's a pretty self-hating guy. Two but... awkward people. Mm. Oh, yeah, wasn't that? They had, like, a, a team of awkward team members yep, in awkward there. awkward duo. Yeah. And he's still fairly likeable as Tusk. He's had a, quite a few episodes where he is obviously trying to be unlikable, but he does try. After the first episode, he's a lot more likeable, you know, when he's uh, when he's not rejecting Yamato's offer of a uh, place to stay. Mm. The episode where he gets a job is a good one, because mm. he then realised that he needs his friends to get on with everything. Yeah. That was a very strange episode, because in order to sell books, he decided to read a book at a children's playground. <laughs> Giving out free samples, that, uh, well, that's one way of doing it. Lost leading, I guess. Kids listened to it and were like, this is kind of boring. <laughs> That's why everyone had to hop into their furry form and reenact it. That's the only way to get kids to read these days. What, through pulling a dude's nose to try and make it grow? <laughs> yeah, well, torture's entertaining to kids these days. I suppose one thing you can say about George is that it doesn't try to develop characters that don't need it. Oh, definitely. Say, we're going to cut a, a little in, and say Mario had yes. enough outlined about himself. He didn't so much develop as the audience found out more about him. So there was the episode where he was taken hostage because they thought he was a Zuman, and he was the one standing up against them because they were trying to kill the others, hmm. and he said that line, what is it, don't mess with our planet. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting to note that a lot of how Yamato is is a result of how Mario kind of helped raise him. While he's still similar to his father, as lined out in those odd episodes with his dad in, he seems to mostly take after Mario. One thing that bugs me, though, about his characters, why is a Japanese man named Mario? Was it where his parents just like a big fans of the games? Well, you know how middle class people give their kids names like turmeric or. <laughs> Or a chrysanthemum. Chrysa Why would you call your child chrysanthemum? I don't know, I'm not middle class. Hmm, we must be middle class. Let's storm a Waitrose and find out. I think the Japanese do that, they just give them exotic names. He's Eeny, the eccentric, meeny, though. Eeny, Mario. Yes. He's the exotic, though. He's the artist, he's the kooky one. Mm. And so they probably give him a name that is, like, befitting of it. It's probably a, a self-appointed name. Yes, I am Mario. <laughs> Like Mary, but manlier. It took a while for his uh, animal antics to grow on me, wearing those costumes, trying to get into character for his uh, new sculptures. And then there was that scene where he milked himself, and that kind of ruined it all for me again. Yeah, the guy. What was it? What was he doing again? Was it cereal he was sorting out? No, he, um, it's, I think someone was having cereal, but then he kind of milked his. He came in dressed as a cow with udders. And then milked himself into a glass. Going moo. 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 That was terrifying, but I guess it's a little bit of. Not so much slapstick as what. It's to show he's slowly sliding into dementia. <laughs> his growing madness. Here's a bit of squick, audience. Turns out the carpentry is just a form of therapy art. 
He forgets he's a man sometimes. And so we'll get back on Mario in a bit. Next, we're segging over to Amu, the white tiger, and she's enjoyable. She's fun. She is, well, I mean, as you'd expect from a cat person, she is, in personality at least, a cat. She will use and abuse you and come back for a head scratch or whatever it is. It's very clear, at least in the first couple of episodes, that she's just there to have a good time. Oh, definitely. But she isn't the stereotypical girly one, in a sense, because she is very mature herself. Oh, yeah, she's mature, but I suppose when you scratch the surface, she is very girly to look at, and uh, if you're just watching her as she is normally. I mean, remember that Halloween episode, if we can look past Leo's fashion choices, when she's uh, talking to the uh, young girl who's latched herself onto Tusk. She can be oddly maternal sometimes. Oh, definitely. It shows a caring side that isn't stereotyped. Mm. She's very level-headed. She... It's even mentioned in her background that she comes from, like, a single-parent family. Yeah. She's taking care of a lot of different things, and she has a mature side about her. None of the Zhumen are hateable. They all fulfil a specific role within the group. Next up among the Zuojas is Missal, also known as Zuo the World. Crippling self-loathing personified. Pretty much, yes. He was an interesting character when he was first revealed. Yes. He was the strong man, he was the terrifying one, who had every other character fearing rhinos. Getting <laughs> triggered at Mario's carvings, for crying out loud. He was the cool, sort of dark, edgy one, like, ooh, I'm gonna get you. Mm. Yes, another challenge. But once his human side was revealed, it was a bit depressing, really, because what would have been like a five-episode arc focusing on him going from self-hating weakling to proper strongman just didn't work out too well. It was even in the last episode where he was regretting everything, hating himself so much. Yeah, I do wish all of his self-loathing was wrapped up in an earlier episode, even if that's not how it works in real life. Either that or just have it be a little bit more serious, because having someone sink into bouts of depression every five minutes gets a bit grating when it's kind of a comic relief thing. It just isn't funny long term. It tended to grate, but one feature I did like was his delusions. He had yes. a lot of delusions of the Zoomen that uh, had died to give him the power, and it worked as a good summary of the workings of his mind, so it yeah. showed all of his doubts personified. It is, uh, yeah, if you take it as being hallucinations, which is what it is later revealed to be, I mean, in the first couple of episodes, it's, you know, these ghosts, are they not? But no, it does reveal how his mind works, like, uh, like the three um, temperament ensemble, you know, it, ego, superego, that kind of thing. Returning to Mario, I did like the Zuo Human episode, because it was essentially a glorified clip show. He came back from Canada, mm. made a spandex suit <laughs> with his face on it, and they just explained everything about the Zuo just to him. Maybe um, sculpting is not his true art form. Maybe it's uh, spandex suit making. Beautiful, we need to commission him sometime. <laughs> and it more cemented his role in the group as the guy they return to after a long mission. The guy that has dinner ready, is smiling, reminds them that this is the world they're fighting for. Yeah, kind of uh, ties them to, yeah, kind of reminds them why they're fighting. It's, it's a really nice, genuinely human character, which yeah, fits into his role as duo human. The uh, Death Galians are probably one of my favourite villain factions in Super Sentai, at least recent Sentai, because these guys are just the worst. I don't think there's been a more evil set of villains. They're doing it solely for the hell of it. It's very much like the Grongi from Kamen Rider Kuga. Yes. It's the blood game. They called it the blood game, and it's kill as many humans as you can, or whatever in creative ways. 
Yeah, it's they're not even trying to conquer the planet. It's just the team leaders trying to give Genis a good enough show. That's literally it. It's horrible and I love it. And Genis is just sitting there getting drunk of his ass and watching people die. Hey Rex, would you, would you say that Genis is genocidal? That was terrible. Please, please. I love it. I'm proud of it. You terrify me. I so it. I say we now talk about the big man himself. That's right, mm. Genus. His initial form is oh, one guy riding another guy. Great. It's big, it's spooky. When he pulls himself up to his full height, he oh, is man. intimidating. Yes, and he doesn't do it very often. It's like once every couple of episodes. And it's only when something gets interesting or catches attention. And it, 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 it's noteworthy. The guy's personality, it's an interesting one because he is distant, he is manipulative, he lives solely to watch things suffer. Yeah. It's what makes him a good villain, it's because he has no personal connections to anyone, mm. even to his assistant Naria. Oh he, man. We'll talk about yeah. that heartbreaker in a second. Poor, poor Naria. Mm. He is such a good character because of it. He fulfills his role perfectly, and he always has a plan. Even when several people plan to betray him, he somehow knew it was going to happen, and he's like, sod it, let's include this in the blood game. Wait, I wouldn't even say it's because he's got a plan, it's just because he doesn't really care. Mm. He doesn't care what happens, doesn't care who betrays him, as long as it's entertaining to him. Just sit back and enjoy the ride. Because he, he's so self-assured, he's, he's so sure that he can handle, he's so sure of his um, superiority, or at least, spoiler alert, he wants to be sure of his superiority, that he is kind of kidding himself into knowing that he can deal with anything. Let's talk about his superiority complex. Oh man, Massive or lack thereof. Genis is a large colony of Mebas, the yes. Mooks. He and is a lump of Mooks. That explains a lot about him, because mm. there was the scene where he was just giving uh, the world another brainwashing session, where he was just purring into his ear, like, I understand you. And originally they thought it was just him being manipulative, but no, he genuinely hates himself, because deep down, he is just a big pile of Mooks. Do you reckon that's why he drinks? Just drinks his own self. <laughs> Even though he does use his own cells for a purpose, it does kind of prove, ironically really, that even though he is strongly focused on being an individual, he is only great because of a massive cooperation between lots of organisms. He is his own team, and that's the ultimate irony I found in the ending, mm. because he was claiming to be only dependent upon himself, when in fact he is he has a collective. dependent on so many other things to even be himself. Yeah, and he tried to ignore that fact, even going so far as killing Naria because she felt some amount of compassion and pity toward him when she found out. That was the one thing he was insecure about, yeah. and it, it drove him mad. Yeah, it's absolutely tragic because she very clearly loves the guy. No oh. matter, yeah, and even when she finds out that he's just a lump of mooks, she still loves him and is absolutely devoted to him. That's right, we're cutting over to Naria now, and she is lovely. She was the aide of Genis. She didn't really she, create monsters or anything. She's the only one who actually has a job there. Everyone else is just sitting around getting drunk, and she's actually doing a job. She's there for a purpose, and that purpose is to be Genis's uh, personal assistant. And as his age, she does quite a good job, and you can tell she loves him. Every time she makes a monster grow, she kisses the medal, except uh, when Kuval grows, because yeah, well, she hates the guy. Yeah, no, she just slams it in his slot, because she, like you said, she hates the guy for betraying Jenis. Hmm. I do like the concept of the players, though, because they all have the coin slot implanted 
except for, say, Naria and Bungle, because they weren't properly intended to be players. Yeah, and uh, as we find out, Azald as well. It's weird, because I feel like I should have picked up on that. Like, yeah. That's weird, he doesn't have a slot. Why is that? But no, it just kind of went over my head. I was too distracted by the wife beat from shorts. Oh, that was a very odd design, because it had, like, a tank top suspended by a ring around his neck yeah. and a pair of boxing shorts. I mean, it fits in with his character, I, I guess. It doesn't seem that out of place on him, but it's just weird in general. It's odd because he is sort of big bulky villain and stuff, Hmm. though again, spoiler alert, you find out he is just his own crystallized god form, given life without any prior memory, and so do you think Guinness just had a pile of shorts lying (laughs) around and just like quick pop them on him otherwise we're going to have a big naked cube guy running around? They're on sale I couldn't just let them stay there Uh, He was a good character, he was was surprised. He was that kind of honourable villain but still kind of a villain because he was all like you know he, he had to be provoked into attacking the uh, duo just to begin with and stuff like that he was just kind of doing his own thing a bit he was a monster oh yeah like massively but I did love the development a monster with some standards his development with the Birdman when it was revealed that the yeah. uh, cube sort of merged with him and that he's still sort of tied to the earth's energy yeah that was a that was a very smart move for, for Bard to make I did like that it was such a good concept as well because they saved on having to work out a backstory for a whole new character. Yeah. It's like Sodit, it's Azald C. It's tied in with the baddies now. Ha! <laughs> Ancient evil, go! Eldritch Abomination is being beaten by a whale man. This is like Kyoyuja, but slightly less funkadelic. Yeah, it's weird. They um they made a whole suit for um how we pronounce it. Is it Cetus or Ketus? Because they pronounce no, well, they say Ketus, but we say Cetus because we are normal and understand Latin. <laughs> so yeah, no, it's it's weird. They made a whole suit for Cetus, and he only ever turns up in like that one episode and the uh, the ending and the dance. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm He's talking about. He does the little dance thing. You ever dance with a, an anthropomorphic whale ghost? Yeah. How do he and um Sella survive on land? How does it work? Answer me, Toei. This is a strange thing, because we're obviously going to be like... It's like Pokemon, where if we have carnivorous Pokemon, do they eat other Pokemon? Do people eat Pokemon? Uh, yeah, I think they have Taurus meat in a couple of episodes. It's just not called Taurus meat. That's kind of morbid. Well, I mean, yeah. They've got, to, they've got to survive, though. You don't really go into depth for the Zoomen for a reason, though. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, like the whole Zootopia thing. Yeah, what do the predators eat? It's a, it's a kid's movie, though, so it's fine. They eat... It's 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 a kid's show. Yeah. It's a kid's show. Kids. So we don't need to worry about that. What I do like is that the Zuman government oh, yes. obviously very, very, very xenophobic. Yeah, and pretty corrupt as well, because they're they're fine to send um Zuman into the human world to study us. But when a yeah, when a human enters, oh no, none of that for you thank you, Governor. We're gonna build a wall and the humans are gonna pay for it. <laughs> uh, it's a bit like Edo era Japan. Uh, yeah, actually, yes, it is. And do you think that might be what they were going for? Maybe we're giving them a bit too Maybe. much credit? Yeah, it's plausible. Highly. Next up in our villains roster is Kuval, the gold headed, awesome android looking vertical Cylon head of a baddie. Yes. He was the one I didn't like to begin with, but he grew on me a bit after his uh, backstory was revealed and he was doing his, his own thing, you know? He was a good foil to Azald because Kuval was entirely brain. All of his monsters had some way of screwing with the opposition. He yes. did it to torment, he did it to confuse. He, I liked how they made him the clever, the clever one. 
They give him a big head and that means he's clever. Pretty much, yes. But his own backstory is wonderfully complex and beautiful because hmm. he only volunteered to be part of Genesis Blood Game to because save his own skin. Yeah. His race was slaughtered by Genesis forces and he wanted revenge for so long, as revealed when Bungle read his memories. And that was a great motivation, because in the very end of uh, his own arc, he tries to beat Guinness and just fails utterly. Mm. And there just, is this moment where he is completely insane. He understands that Genesis his shin form. Yeah, Genesis isn't just going to kill him. He's going to hurt him and then kill him. Mm. And there's the scene where he's just running so terrified. And then in the episode, he decides to try and atone himself by yeah. killing everyone on Earth. Just he completely is... throws all pride out of the window. All principle is gone. It's just him trying to save his own metal skin. He recognizes that there is no stopping Genis, and the only thing he can do is just try to amuse him. And even when he gets uh, grown, he dies screaming out his name, trying to be atoned. Yeah, funny thing is, if he'd actually teamed up with the Geoges properly, he probably would have survived. Probably, yes. Even though he did manipulate them. Well, they probably would have forgiven him after a while, you know, if he proved that he was fundamentally still coming from a place of, I want to avenge my fallen planet, you know? It's just entirely for himself. And that was the best part of him snapping. I don't know, I think maybe, like, at some point, maybe fighting against Genis to uh, avenge his planet might just have been a thing he told himself he was doing, just to make himself feel a little bit better about becoming subservient to the man who killed his uh, family, something like that, I don't know. He's a very dark character when you get down to it, especially for a kid's show. Oh, definitely. Even by Sentai standards, which is generally darker than Power Rangers. Even though the development was a bit delayed, the villains are pretty well rounded out. Yes. Even when Azol achieved his normal form, he considered Genesis an equal, so it's like, we'll equally participate in the blood game. Yeah, and that's actually kind of sad, because Genesis was perfectly um, content to just kind of you know, screw him over, despite the fact that Azol actually did want to join him and have fun with him. Yeah, Genesis, he's just evil. He's hes a monster. He's a monster yes. among monsters. One of the most monstrous villains. And that's after, like, uh, Black Cross King, who looks like a KKK member. And that brings us to our uh, final uh, villain, uh, Bungle. And he's basically, like, Captain Ahab, but with a robot whale instead of a, a white actual flesh whale. It's a nice touch to the um, whole extra villain in Sentai thing who tries to take over and become the big bad. Yeah. And... Um, he did okay, actually. He hmm. had a nice approach, and um, essentially his way of copying people's memories to create monsters and villains and stuff was solely Toei's way of saving <laughs> money, but it worked so well. Yes, it, it, didn't, it didn't do it too often, and it wasn't like he was completely recycling, recycling them for the same kinds of Monster of the Week plot. He uh, recycled them for uh, backup and to... Uh, yeah, just use them for his own ends independently. That led to a lot of really good episodes, though, especially when I mentioned with the, the one with Yamato's mother, how he does it solely to screw with him. Yeah, yeah, it's not just limited to monsters. Bungle's obsession with Yamato, especially when it comes to severing bonds, <laughs> i.e. killing everyone he knows and loves in front of him, Yeah, is an interesting one because it's completely unnecessary. Absolutely. It, it didn't really add much to the plot, but it kind of served to emphasise the show's overall theme of everyone being connected together like uh or just everyone has a connection with each other and that's brought more to the forefront with the uh, the bards and his dad's arc thing definitely but, yeah no, bungle is a good addition and in hindsight you can see kind of what his uh, inclusion was meant to meant to represent and instill in us although he did try and focus on being i'm like a mega beast hunter i hunt giant monsters 
and it was sort of a bit forced how it's like oh the he was going after cube whale mm. for so long it's a bit of a stretch yeah but ultimately it was satisfying yeah it, it was fine though his catchphrase kind of reinforces to me that nobody quite gets how british slang works you know overwatch has cheers and uses that wrong and uh bungle has no idea what how to use the word cracking he really does not Maybe it's a bit like in Battlestar Galactica. It's like fracking with a bit of the old C word added in. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe. Absolutely filthy. <laughs> we now move on to the secondary characters that also feature in who are Zoomen. We've got Birdman, also known as Bard, and Larry the Gorilla. I, I love both of them. They're great, but especially Larry, just because of the whole um, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure thing. His voice actor is the same as old Joseph Joestar's voice actor in Sardis Crusaders, and you can really tell when he shouts, Adios mio! Oh my god! Yes, it's just really fun to imagine like a gorilla stand use. I mean, what, would, what do you even call his stand? Harambe's Revenge. There, I made a Harambe <laughs> joke. 2016 is over. Welcome 2017. We've really dated ourselves. Well, of course we have old memes. This is why I showed you peanut butter jelly time 18 times. Old memes are gold memes. Yes. Uh, bird person. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I can't stop. Uh, Bard. I didn't like him to begin with because I'm not too fond of the whole kind of aloof ally kind of ranger shtick sometimes I have going on. But when you realise why he's so aloof, why he doesn't like interacting with the others more, it makes a lot more sense and it makes him a lot more sympathetic actually when he starts interacting more with them voluntarily. Yes, although it did take a while for his arcs to kick in, so there was the one snippet where it showed him unearthing a few more cube animals, but there was a gap of 11 episodes between that being ever mentioned again. Yeah. That, I think, was an issue with the pacing, Hmm. but his inclusion with Yamato's life near the end was interesting. So essentially, Yamato's father missed being at his wife's deathbed because he came across Bard's body, nursed him to health, and just saved his life. And he then tried to return that with Yamato. Yeah. Yeah. That was quite a beautiful one, really. Yeah, it's nice they kind of added that kind of stuff in to kind of redeem uh, Yamato's dad in the end. Especially when, like, there's humans um, kind of manifest in the human world and uh, Yamato's dad straight off the bat is all like, be calm, I got be this. chill. It's furries, we know how to deal with this. Get the gas. As a seventh ranger, he was interesting. He didn't have any massive involvement, and even though he's sort of an orange, it looks more of an off-red, because you can tell he's not using his own power for this. It's a very kind of washed-out thing, like they kind of... Because, like, the black isn't so much black as it is, like, a dark blue. It's like it's been sun-bleached a bit. Yeah, because he obviously prayed to his little cube thing, and he's more using the Earth's power rather than his own, Hmm. and that makes for an interesting variety of character, really. Yes, it's not like he joins the team at all, really. Doesn't he have, like, two fights? scenes as duo bird in like two three yeah 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 he doesn't have much i kind of wish that uh, larry got to morph at the end as well oh that would have been interesting but yeah. larry's the peaceful guy he's yeah. the friendly one he even gets on with mario at the end oh that is really mario great. just like, offers him a banana hola that's great why yeah. why does larry speak spanish yeah do you think he had some sort of obsession with spain he's like a i don't think he's ever been to some spain sort of hispanabu <laughs> Yeah, it would make more sense for him to speak like an African dialect. He's wearing, obviously, Rastafarian colours. Yeah. And has so a funky... Like, yeah, like he's part Rastafarian, part 
Spanish. He's he's a humor boo. He he just likes all human culture. And he just doesn't know which ones mesh in. He's like King Louis. He wants to be a human. I do like how he ages as a character, but is completely okay with it because he loses his phobia of humans. Losing part of his life force is probably the least bad thing that's happened to him in the human world. Oh yeah, the guy learns to love again. He learns to study people. He learns to he... stop being racist. Yeah, he learns to stop being racist. I guess local teens help angry gorilla stop being racist. We mentioned the story itself is a little different from regular Sentai because initially they don't show the connection between the team and the villains. It's yeah. normally not as in Sentai as deep as, say, Kamen Rider. No. But there has to be a connection and it's only revealed later on that Azald, as one of the lieutenants, was the big bad that the original Zuo just defeated. But ultimately it's an okay story. It's mostly filler yeah. because it focuses on the interactions between each team member. There's no progress made on either side because, again, it's a blood game than what the villains are doing. Yeah, it's not They're like just got an sending people in plan. all the time. To be fair, there isn't much of an actual plot. It's a very character-driven show. It's not like the uh, Death Galeons are trying to take over the world. Every so often, like once a week or so, sending a, an alien down to wreck stuff. It makes sense for the Rangers to not be that pragmatic, since it's not like they can go into orbit or anything like that. So, I think it works fine as it is. Even the Zoomen's initial motivation to return home, that was quashed as soon as they came yeah. across Birdman, because he's like, no, you don't want to go there, it's a dump, it's corrupt. And it was for good reason, because they still had the Death Galeon to defeat. Yeah, returning home kind of takes a bit of a back burner. Even though the do obviously miss home yeah. and it it shows quite well and it's just an interesting part of their background rather than their main goal it informs their actions more than more than it being like a full on driving force for most of the series this is quite strange because especially when compared to stuff like Shinkenja and Go Busters where there is this constant threat and there's always a feeling of danger there's more of a feeling of peace and calm when they're actually doing things they're yeah. having fun out in the world they're working well Tusk's working <laughs> and they're just getting on with their lives or whatever the hell they have that's close to their normal lives. So the pacing, it does remind me a little bit of Wizard, even though the filler episodes are still done very, very well. Georgia actually strikes me as more of like a slice of life show with Rangers in it than anything else, really. Oh, definitely. It shows them in the middle of any domestic action. They're even having yeah. some parties, like the little pancake party episode that sums yeah, up every character really well. You've got Tusk being the control freak. Yeah. Missal just overdoing it. Speaking of domestic, it really bothers me kind of where they sleep. I mean, like uh, Leo sleeps in the branch of the tree and it really bothers me that Sella sleeps in the bathtub. What if someone needs to go in the middle of the night does she just stay there? Does she leave the room? What? She watches them poop. <laughs> so that brings us to the mechs. And I've got to say, after being spoiled by things like O-Busters on mech design and Live Man, these mechs are just ugly. These are ugly They mecha. are absolutely hideous. Initially, we thought they were going for a, like a Minecraft design for it, uh, with the whole blocky thing, the awful pixel things. Even the earliest mechs in Sentai weren't as blocky yeah, as that. Yeah, yeah. And the toys for them are awful as well. Like, the normal toys for the first mech, the legs, you can't move the legs. They're just moulded that way. It's, it's like a low-poly Shinkeno. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess that, I get that they really want to go for like a cube gimmick. They went too far with the cube gimmick. Do you think in the Power Rangers adaptation they're going to try and work the cube gimmick into more things? Things. Well, if they do adapt it, then yeah, probably. Oh, that's going to be pants. Mm. I did like the way that the cubes fitted together, though. It was quite clever how they unfolded in certain ways. Yeah, yeah. If they were going to do it, this is probably the best that they could do with it. Then there was Cube Whale Transformation, uh, which was Dodakayo, which was kind of cool, but it was just big, was, blocky, and nasty. Like a guy wearing a big cardboard box in his chest. It was a red-painted cardboard box. Yeah, with a big old hole in the middle there. They didn't really know what to do with the water spell, because it changes 
is all over the place. First yeah. it's in the middle, then it's on the top, then it's in the arm, and then in the final form, it's just on the shoulder, <laughs> occasionally spraying water. Man, that thing is better than Dodakayo, but it's still not good. I the mean, legs are legs. just blocks. No feet. That bothers me. With Cube Tiger, it kind of has these weird little things that flip off at the at the bottom, but it doesn't have that on the other end. It's just bad. It's kind of stumpy, you know? One thing I do like with it is that they emphasise the size of the thing. The yes. suit for it is bigger. It's mm. bigger than a lot of the monsters. I do and love it when they do that. really shown in the final battle with Genis uh, because they're both massive suits yes. and it's shown by that. I mean, even though you know that the mech is just standing on like a couple of cardboard boxes to prop itself up just to show, oh no, it's, it's a little bit bigger. It's really nice when like they get a new, more powerful mech. It assembles in front of the monster and the monster is like half its size. Yeah. The mech did do a satisfying thing in the final arc, though, in the way it just crashed the Sagittari arc down to Earth. Yes. It pulled on a great big tether, yanking it out of orbit and smashing it into a mountain. I love the Sagittari arc. Everything about it, I just love it. It's a massive bone arrow in space, and the name is just cool as well. It's got Sag- a tiny roulette wheel on the base yeah. of the arrow. And I suppose they really want to drill home how much they like games. I want to know how Guinness got that spaceship. Right. Did he build it himself, or did he just nick it? Yeah, I think he just threatened people. I mean, he's got, like, Pirate's Throne is like a bunch of coins in so maybe just maybe he's really rich say he sort of spread himself out in a bit like a hive mindy halo the flood kind of way yeah maybe maybe, which maybe. explains why he knows a lot he just has ears everywhere <laughs> like literal ears the amoebas just grow into ears people thought they were light switches or something nope ears <laughs> uh, that brings us to uh, the filming of it which is a little different to previous shows like i mentioned in the previous episode a few more kind of aerial shots i'm fairly certain they use drones to film them i really think it makes a difference oh definitely there was this one great scene where bungalow was interrogating a bunch of fishermen on this one small porty bit and the camera then just pulled back, obviously on a drone because it was so smooth, mm. showing him and the background. It definitely helped give a sense of scale to the environments. They, they didn't really use as many close-up shots like they did with Kyoryuja. No. I think that's to its better as well. I think it suits it a lot more. The fight scenes normally have around two ranges in that you can focus on. Yeah. The ones with multiples, it's a bit hectic, but there's always in the centric episodes, so it's always a combination of two ranges. You never get a solely one ranger focused episode. Even Unless with it's Yamato. Yamato had. Uh, well, Yamato does have a yeah. couple, but. He's the Red Ranger, of course it's he does. Like a Tusk episode or a Leo episode. Actually, no, Leo does have Leo centric episodes. I've kind of gone against myself in that one. But you know what I mean? When in no, the fight yeah, scenes. Yeah. Like with, yeah, like they do have team ups. Yeah, like Leo and Sela team up. I suppose it's easier to just have two play off each other than just one on their own. You definitely choreographed the fight scenes well, even though the props look absolutely oh, hideous. Yes, the gun sword thing looks like Fisher Price made them. Which is very odd because it's Bandai. The concept of, okay, let's swap the cubes around. Now it's a gun. Now it's a sword. Now it's a sworded gun. It makes sense in the show, but again. I'm not too fond of the block theme. Definitely, but they did use it well in fights. I yes. wasn't too fond of the great big finisher thing, or was that great big champions cube thing oh, for the whale? It looks really hollow because of the flaps things, you mm. know. It was a nice effect how they folded it out, yeah. but they portrayed it really, really well in the fight scenes. I love it like when they first fire it off, it shaves part of the moon off. Oh, that was insane. As for the music, the intro theme and the outro theme, I am a huge fan of those. I and mean, I was grinning like a loon the first time I heard the theme song. Oh, it is so happy. It's yeah. so grand. It gets straight in there. It even has a proper Sun Vulcan reference. It was so cheerful and happy and lively. And it just made you feel like it was a proper Sentai. Ranger, put that down, man. Crikey, I, I shouldn't leave the kazoo in the recording area. Good thing you can't reach the didgeridoo. <laughs> 
I love it when they dance in the ending theme as well. It's really cute, especially when they show it like with kids in the background, yeah, and then they get like cute. the people in the suits, like they had Ketus doing it. Great big dancing whale man. <laughs> I love how it kind of goes through all the animals as well, and has little puns on them. Yeah, the Japanese are pun masters. They are multilingual pun masters. They will bend over backwards to make a pun work in both languages. I really want Nobuharu from Kyoryuji <laughs> yes. to come back and slaughter everyone with puns, or just some sort of pun monster. <laughs> That's what I hope for in Ranger pun monster. Well, I mean, it could happen. It is Super Sentai. They do love their puns. Even though the special effects were of decent quality, you could tell they were working on quite a close budget in the sense mm. that there were very few Monsters of the Week after episode 20. Yeah, there's like only 24 or something Monsters of the Week, like unique ones, right? Yeah, and Bungalay's own ability to create duplicate monsters from people's memories was essentially their way of saving money. Oh, but well, they that was a stroke at... of genius who ever thought that one up. Oh yeah, they worked into the plot really well. Yes. They made it into like a false, which one's the real Tusk and Seller yeah. kind of thing. I only realised what they were doing in terms of yeah budget saving, like a couple of episodes in, I, yeah, I was like, oh, hey, yes, wait a second, they're Ooh. being cheap. Yeah. They weren't actually very tight on the budget for the fight scenes in the episodes, though, which was nice. Even though mm. you had the same repeated ones, they yeah. still put as much love and effort in. And they had two canned clip show episodes. <laughs> so the first one, where essentially a copy of Tusk and Cello was made, and like they had quiz to... Show thing yeah. going on there. And they all had a bomb strapped to them, and they had to guess the right one. And that was good because they had a quiz show format, and they had yeah, to it, guess it from it's scenes not in the like, show. It's not like they're just kind of sitting around saying, "Hey, remember that time when there's like a little harp thing going on?" Oh, flashback. So a bit like that one episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation. Both clip shows are integrated well. Like uh, the second one, it's when they're explaining to Mario, you know, what the deal is, what they're doing, that kind of thing. The thing is, even then, they had a lot of plot progression because they explained a lot about Azard in saying he was found by. Genis, he's obviously concerned about his background. You can tell they're definitely trying to save money, but they're doing it well. It didn't pull an ninja and end up being oh, blatantly terrible. No. They put the writing in the right places, yes. and they used the budget wisely. Yeah, if you sink most of your budget into writing, then I think most of it can be carried by a good story. Hell, look what happened to Power Rangers in space. Oh man, yeah. Operating on like a shoestring budget and they just decided to throw caution to the wind and do whatever the heck they wanted. Fabulous. So to summarise Uoja in a few words, it is a good Sentai. It's a surprisingly good Sentai. It's fun. It's just pure, unadulterated fun. It is happy. It's quite serious in areas too. Missal wasn't the best one because he was just protracted and self-loathing for so long, mm. but the episodes with him were handled well. Yes, I do really like his introductory arc, and I do wish he was a villain for longer. He reminded me a bit of a Barry Killer from Arbor Ranger for a bit. Oh, yes. He did also have shades of the Green with Evil arc from Power Rangers, like a normal oh, human crikey, kidnapped right. by the villain brainwashed into being their minion, that kind of thing. Wow, I yeah. never actually thought of that. That's really good. I don't think it's an actual reference to Green with Evil, but it's a nice... They take after each other, you know? Oh, definitely. And especially when it references his brainwashing session with Genis at the end, which yes. shows that he really was being sincere and that he understood being the weak one. Mm. And then Missal got the reinforcement that he wasn't weak, he was actually a strong guy, and Guinness is just very, very insecure. insecure. I pretty much agree with you on everything. We, uh, we both love this for very similar reasons. It is... A really fun show that takes itself seriously when it needs to. It's not a Car Ranger, and Car Ranger was completely silly in a good way, in a good way, don't get me wrong, but it you know, knew not to be too serious. This one has a good mix of silly in the places that it needs to be silly. Definitely.
and I'm really looking forward to see if Q-Ranger can match it. I mean, we've got episode one out already, and it is beautiful. Oh, I don't think I've ever loved anything more than Q-Ranger. It's, it's like if they made a Power Rangers show and put a lot more effort into it. It's got the hallmarks of Power Rangers, because they really do like alien invasions there, stuff like that, and they go into space more in Power Rangers. But this one, they put more effort into the budget, that kind of thing. I really like it, and I'm looking forward to seeing episode two. It smacks of Star Wars as well. Yes, especially with the, uh, the evil hooded hologram bloke. Ah, yes. Now, we'll have to talk about that in another episode, Absolutely. as this brings the Geoja special to a conclusion. Yay! Woo! Bring on Q-Ranger. Please, please, more. We need please. it. Please, we don't want to watch x for the love of God. Don't make us watch x for the podcast, <laughs> please. And this is Rex signing off. Stay fabulous. Keep on riding, folks.